like getting in the back of a cab, knowing exactly the route that I want to take, having all the information except for their access to the car, and then having someone take a different route. And you're in the back being like, no, don't get on that, you know, and like, this is what it feels like. And I can't keep going to things that are making me itch. So yes, I provide video and detailed unsolicited feedback with love and say take it or leave it it's fine it's like spinach in your teeth i gotta point it out to you how are entrepreneurs like us daring bravely to build a stage ditch the sweatpants and step up to the mic how do we create our own transformative events so we can get our message out into the world in a bigger way that's not only profitable but it's actually something we can be proud of that's the question and the answers are inside this podcast. My name is Sarah Pfeiffer. Welcome to Green Room Central. Today I brought into Green Room Central Studios Robbie Samuels, an event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. He helps organizations bring their events online with less stress and greater participant engagement. He's the author of three books, including his latest, which releases today, Break Out of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events. He's been recognized as a networking expert by NPR, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Inc. He's a TEDx speaker and host of the On the Schmooze podcast. Please join me in welcoming Robbie. So I wanted to start by asking about your new book because I'm so thrilled that you literally wrote a book on how to be engaging on a Zoom because I get a lot of feedback from CEOs who are like, gosh, I'm kind of, my guests are over being on Zoom. It's it's boring. It's it's not engaging. Um, it's, you know, been there, done that. The, the bar has been raised and we're just going to go back to in person. And I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> no, like we have just like been like the world has been opened up to us in terms of how we can make our events more accessible, to make our events um, available to guests all around the world, to to make our events more accessible from a monetary standpoint. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and so I never want people to take this amazing resource out of their toolbox, right? Like I never want them to say, oh, I'm, <laughs> uh, we're just going to do in person because I think it's it's always going to be an and now. I, 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 there's always a place. Yeah, I, I'm particularly thinking about organizations that used to only have in-person events like an alumni organization that maybe had three cities that they would host events in. And then with the pandemic, they started to really draw in alumni that were scattered all around the globe and to now say, nope, we're going back to these three cities. That's it. Uh, you know, you're taking something away from people or to the organizations that used to have one big annual conference. And now they've been doing all this virtual programming and their chapters are doing all this virtual programming. I mean, there, there are associations where there's one chapter for the entire state of Washington it's really hard to get physically to that one location. So having virtual as an option, I think is like you said, a tool that we all need to keep in our toolbox, but we can't be doing what we've always been doing. We have to find new and innovative ways to bring people together, to create those transformative, inclusive and engaging online experiences. 
First thing I want you to share with us is you talk about purpose first and designing events with outcomes in mind. And I think that's one of my favorite things to teach inside of Live Event Academy is like, we have to know like, what's the end goal and then kind of back into that, right? So what are your tips? Well, I think that you should enter a meeting knowing ahead of time, as your participants come in, what are they thinking, feeling, and or doing, right? And then at the end of your time together, what are they going to be thinking, feeling, and or doing? And that in between, that shift is the transformation. So if you pause and have that conversation, which is actually, if you're in a team, it's really important that you're all on the same page about those outcomes because you may have different understandings of what the purpose of the meeting is. You may also decide you don't even need a meeting, <laughs> which is a great outcome. Um, but if you are going to have a meeting, knowing that will help you decide what kinds of content to share, what to focus on within that content, who would be the best speakers to share that content, what kind of exercises to do, um, whether or not to have breakout rooms, if to have breakout rooms, what kind of questions, what was the purpose of the breakout rooms, um, all of these, like everything that you say, maybe we can throw this in. It's like judged against the outcome. Does it help participants to get to the outcome? Not really. All right. It's a really nice to have, but it's not critical. So this also helps if you design your session in a modular so you have all these different segments and you suddenly are told you only have I don't know, half an hour instead of 45 minutes or 45 minutes instead of an hour, rather than panicking, <laughs> talking really, really fast or skipping the Q&A, which is such a big miss, uh, you will know which modules are critical to keep and which you know, are bonus content that you can skip and you can always refer people to your other resource handout or book to tell them how to get the additional information. But you don't wanna, you don't wanna like, try to cram everything in. I think that's the mistake I've made, a lot of speakers make. And by having that clear understanding up front, it'll tell you what to leave out without feeling like, oh, but I need to tell them all these things. I love that. It's kind of like the accordion approach. So it's knowing what pieces are critical to learn live while we're face-to-face to kick off transformation and which ones can be ancillary and kind of homework, if you will. The other thing that I want to dive into is what are all the things that people are doing wrong? <laughs> because I'd like to know so that A, I stop doing them, but B, like just awareness is such a gift, right? And I think... Well, Sarah, I mean, this book, basically the subtitle unofficially is Robbie's Pet Peeves and How to Avoid Them. <laughs> because I wrote a book, I mean... There are 10,000 words just about breakout rooms. It was the first chapter I really started writing. And it was 20% of the book until I realized the book was actually bigger than what I originally thought it was going to be. I mean, it was it's it was twice more than twice what I thought it was originally going to be. But but like 10,000 words just on breakout rooms because there's a zillion things there. Um, here's what I'll say. Just because you have Microsoft Word in your computer does not make you a great writer. Uh, just because you happen to have, you know, Adobe software or um, iMovie doesn't make you <laughs> a great videographer or editor or a graphic designer. And similarly, just because you know how to get onto a Zoom call doesn't make you a great virtual presenter. And there are some fantastic in-person facilitators and presenters that have amazing content and amazing stage presence 
when they're in person that have not done the work to translate that to a medium that is more cinematic than it is about a big stage, right? It's a smaller screen, so it's fewer senses. So the way we hold people's attention is different. So beyond the purpose-first design, I think facilitation is different. And, you know, in person, for instance, you would never have to, like, say who goes next once you start a circle, like, you know who's going to go after. But in the online space, like, you're looking at your screen. We don't know what's on your screen. And then your screen changes and you're like, wait, did Mary go? I can't. Well, you know, there are ways to avoid that, friends. Or you can... Um, be like, oh, Sarah's turn. Sarah gets put in the spotlight. You were like, what? Like, you didn't know it was your turn. You can't. You didn't even know what the question was. You weren't paying attention. So there are ways to not have people be deer in headlights. To to let them know they're on they're on deck. Um, instructions could be better. Like, stop saying things like, go ahead and raise your hand in chat. It's never been in chat. I mean. I wrote a book called Break Out of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom, because what I'm proposing is that we can use the built-in Zoom features, plus quality facilitation, plus thoughtful purpose-first design, purpose design to create incredible online experiences. So it's about understanding, you know, or here's another one. Hey, go up here to the top right. That's not your top right. That's your top left. If we, if we were, let's just break this down. If I was on a stage and you were in an audience, you would understand. If I said to you, like, we're doing, you know, aerobics, and if I say right hand, you're going to hold up your left hand. So, you, you know, you have to say right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand, to get people to mirror you. My three-year-old back in preschool, I had to tell the teacher to stop saying the wrong thing because my kid didn't know right from left yet. And it was very confusing that my kid is naturally mirroring and the teacher keeps saying the wrong thing for the kid, you know? So the, there's so many pet peeves or go ahead and unmute. In person, you would never end a presentation and say, all right, friends, time for Q&A. Go ahead and start talking. What? You would say, line up at the microphone, hand in an index card with your questions, raise your hand. You you give instruction. Why is go ahead and unmute even a thing? Sorry, I could go on, Sarah. There are so many things. Send people to breakout rooms with no direction about what to do with their time and call it engagement. Really? Sorry, you were saying? <laughs> You're cracking me up over here. I absolutely love it. I'm picturing you like just feverishly taking notes in every virtual event that you've been on since 2020. I will tell you honestly, I do send notes to hosts if I attend their networking event and I want to go back because I think I like the people. I will send them notes about how to improve their, their structure, facilitation, et cetera. And they all have a moment of like, who is this guy to tell? Oh, actually, he gets paid a lot of money to do this. And then they'll send the instructions to their team and be like, follow everything Robbie says. And they're like, you never take feedback. They're like, no, but Robbie, no stuff. And so I'm like, I can't. It's like getting in the back of a cab, knowing exactly the route that I want to take, having all the information except for their access to the car, and then having someone take a different route. And you're in the back being like, no, don't get on that, you know, and like, this is what it feels like. And I can't keep going to things that are making me itch. So yes, I provide video and detailed unsolicited feedback with love and say, take it or leave it. It's fine. It's like spinach in your teeth. I got to point it out to you. It's, it's digital spinach in your teeth. I love you for 
giving unsolicited feedback and helping everyone produce better virtual events on Zoom. And what I'm hearing is, and this is something that I, I guess, just, just never connected the dots on before, is that we're in a medium where it's, you know, like, it's just like stage left, stage right, like stuff that is just so commonplace when we're on a physical stage in real life. And then I think none of us realized that it's a thing still (laughs) in the virtual world. And so I can't point down here if the button's up high. Every time you do something that's a little off, like telling people, um, you know, go ahead and raise hands. And then they point, say, raise hands here in reactions. And they're pointing to your bottom left, which is not where reactions is on Zoom. And your brain has to do that little bit of figuring out what you actually mean. That's part of the Zoom fatigue. So Zoom fatigue is not the right content, which is purpose versus design, right? Um, too much information, which is also purpose versus design. Poor quality of facilitation because that's just confusing the people. If you can solve for those problems and you can find a way to create some kind of intentional engagement, which means opening with some housekeeping where you're sharing with people, here's how we're going to use chat. Here's how you can ask questions. Here's when we're going to answer questions. Here's how to interact with us. You know, use these reactions or here's the American sign language for applause. Whatever the rules are for your house, you know, like you set the rules and don't say it once and say everybody else is always going to figure it out because then you're going to have regulars who know and newcomers who don't. So you just have to kind of build this in as part of the opening. And I'll say this, Sarah, and then I'll pass the mic back to you. I believe that thoughtful structure creates a sense of belonging, that this is about equity and inclusion because the people who are already in the know the people who already have power and privilege and comfort and seniority, the people who like built the thing aren't going to be fine without you naming how to do things. They're going to step in. If you send people to breakout rooms without any structure and they're all muted, somebody is going to unmute, but they may never relinquish the microphone. That 10 minutes could go by with them just giving us a little quee. And you in the main room is thinking, I created engagement. Yeah, in the checkbox kind of way. And it's not intentional. Not everyone got a chance to, to be part of it. They were invited, but they were not feeling welcomed. And so I actually think that if we like put a DEI and B, belonging, lens on this, thoughtful structure is part of that. And so many times I see speakers sort of relinquish that responsibility and let participants create it on their own. And what a missed opportunity because we really know better. We are the ones who are deciding that outcome. And if we wanna help people get to that outcome, we need to be driving that. Yeah, don't even get me started on <laughs> on a lack of leadership when it comes to sending people to breakouts. That's probably my hot button issue is, I'm an introvert, I'm shy by nature. I want you to tell me exactly what to do. What are the rules of the game here? because I got to step up and play. I'm already anxious because you just said that we're going to go to breakouts soon. And so my brain is like, you know, like spinning. 
So I need you to be loud and clear verbally with the instructions. I need you to have a slide that has those same instructions. I also want your the chat. Like I, I don't want any lack of clarity on my part or the people that I'm going to come together with uh, in that Zoom breakout because that's awkward too. And I'm allergic to awkwardness yeah. as an in shy introvert person, right? Well, I'll, I'll give you another another sort of pet peeve that we can all do better. Uh, it's really great to give people a sense of who goes first in breakout rooms. So I think a lot of speakers and facilitators have started to get that. They're like, they get that. But then they'll, they'll give people um, go in order of longest or shortest hair or uh, brightest to darkest shirt or birth date. Now, those things are either subjective or take time to figure out. So every time I've done the hair thing, there's been a guy in the room who's bald and we end up having a conversation about that. It's fine to be bald, but it wasn't the point of the conversation. The birthday thing, I've had so many conversations during the pandemic about horoscopes that happened because we were having a conversation about whose birthday is when. And these things take time. And then color, is blue darker than green? I mean, Yes, I'm allergic depends, to right? wasting so, time. So what you said subjective. So what's the right answer then? The right answer would be alphabetical or reverse alphabetical by first or last name. If you go by last name, I always say, if your last name's not showing, you go first, which gets people to write their last name pretty darn quick. Yeah. Um, if you want to go in a particular order, maybe you want to go from most experienced to least experienced, then I would direct people to get in the breakout room and immediately in chat, write the number of years they have experience-wise so that you can quickly discern the order. You know, so it's just, um, it's like really providing a lot of step-by-step -step structure so that people don't get into breakout rooms and just kind of all look at each other waiting for someone to start. And they can't, they're like, what was the, what were we supposed to be talking about? Like they can't remember. Now, one way to help people remember is you talked about saying it out loud and, you know, sometimes you can have a slide or put it in chat. Here's the best way, giving your answer or having someone else give their answer. So let's say I was going to share my win. So good. You know, hey, everyone, get in the breakout rooms and share your biggest win of the week. My biggest win is... Now, what happens is, as I tell that story, your brain starts thinking of their own story yeah. of what you would rather say. In fact, you almost want to interrupt me right in the moment and just start talking, which means you're really engaged in this conversation. You're primed. Now, you know, it's alphabetical by first name. Your name starts with A. You're like, oh, I'm, I might be one of the first. I'm ready. So it's like we get people's brains engaged through storytelling, and we miss that step all the time. So give people a reason to get into the rooms. Don't make it just like random um, and, and answer, the, answer it or have someone else provide an answer is a great way to get people primed for those conversations. I love that giving your answer tip because I think it's, it's helpful when – because everyone, everyone enters a room with the same question in mind, which is how do I fit in? And when you are sending us into a room – with rules uh, and then showing us what that looks like to fit in by giving us your um, your story, your three things, whatever it is first, it feels good. It feels real good. It also, if you want people to be a little more vulnerable, which might be, you know, if you're going to have people stay in the same room two or three times, you could ask or even if you're going to mix it up a little bit, but like you can ask slightly more vulnerable or braver questions. So you sharing sets that tone. 
So let's say talk about your biggest challenge or um, like the biggest challenge you've overcome, you know, like, you, you know, you could say something about like the department of vehicles lines being really long and that would be a very surface answer, but relatable. Or you could talk about something that really hits home. Yeah. And even if people don't have the same answer, you've now set the, the, the ground from which we all build from. So um, th it, it's really, it's, I, I don't want, it's not orchestrated. I'm not trying to like pull an emotion from you, but I'm trying to create a space. I'm holding a container. That's our job as facilitators and hosts is to hold a container and guide people. And by the way, I did this, Sarah, in person. I know that you and I met through event stuff. I used to host a, a in-person gathering, you know, downstairs at a bar. We, we took over the whole yeah. room. In the first five feet from the door, you will have talked to the four or five people who we had planted. Everything from letting people know lining up what to expect when they got to the table, the person behind the table who was taking the money and giving them a name yeah. tag. Two steps later, here's your bingo sheet and your pen. Let me fill it out for you. Let me get you started. Two steps later, there was a table with asking about it and I'm looking for tags with people, two or three people standing there talking to you. And then there was the bar, which is where everyone was so going to go. But before you even got to the bar, you had, you know, stickers on, a name tag, a raffle ticket, a bingo sheet, a pen, you know, and, and like you had been really welcomed into the space yeah. and people would always leave. Like, how is it we met people? I don't never meet people at these bar nights. So I think that structure matters. This is not just a virtual thing. I think it's a really big event of overlap between how you prepare for a great quality in-person or a great quality virtual program. There are outliers of things you have to think about for both of these modes that are that you have to know to really do well. But so much of this is built off of all the years. I just had to figure out how to translate it into the virtual world in a way that made sense, but the but the mechanisms might be different, but the purpose of it makes sense. Like I think for anyone who has experience with in-person, I challenge us all to be a little more creative in how we problem solve the world of virtual instead of saying, ugh, virtual. It's like playing soccer with football rules. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, no wonder you're not doing well. But we're all like, trying our best. <laughs> like, we all just got thrown in, yeah. right? <laughs> but we all got thrown in, but it's like, you know, constraints are in existence for in-person too. You can't tell me that forcing people to all fly to one location and then cramming the content tightly into just a couple of days is the best scenario. I've been to events with 42 concurrent sessions. Yeah. I've been to events that took over the entire downtown city where events were meetings were a mile apart. I was choosing the next session based on whether I could physically get there in time. That can't, that, that was just what it was. We did the best we could within those yeah. constraints. So similarly, we got to act this, got to understand the rules of this game and act accordingly. Yeah. So you wrote the book on how to do this. And I'm grateful because I, my anxiety level is like rising just a little bit right now going, oh my gosh. So like, um, I've probably been pointing to the wrong spot or just been like, go find the button instead of actually learning where the button is and, you know, being able to very articulately tell people where to go. So please tell me that inside of this book, like there's a chapter that I'm supposed to read that's going <laughs> to give me the rules. Everything. There's, there's an entire chapter, chapter nine on settings. 
and there's multiple places to look for settings. So there's an entire chapter walking you through settings. Um, there's a there's a whole section on the mirroring, uh, and I even go so far as to tell you the correct answer. Yeah, <laughs> I have you try it on your own, and then I just give you the crib notes, like what hand to use for what thing you're gonna say. And I also tell you if it's too confusing, like don't point, just verbally tell people, write it in your notes, what the verbal, like, you know, stage instructions, like write your stage yeah. instructions out. So, you know, you know, even if you don't remember which way to point, you say, here's where to go to find it. Look on the bottom right. Because it, it might be like unlocking levels of like Mario Brothers. Like we're just going to first, we might only be using like a couple buttons on the controller. And then like we might be able to grow to like using more of them, right? The goal is to get 5% better every time you Zoom. Okay. Whether you're hosting, speaking, facilitating, or participating, if we all get 5% better on how our setup is, I mean, I will tell you, I'm having anxiety right now that I'm not looking at both cameras. We're on two mediums and it is making me a little nutty that all the people watching you on Instagram is like, why can't Robbie figure out where the camera is? It's because you got me looking at the camera on my computer and I'm not going to switch because I know you're going to take this footage later and I'm really happy for you. But like if you can as a participant and as a just get better at looking at the camera, um, if you participate more in chat, you know, as a participant, you can be the person who writes takeaways in chat. You can be the participant who writes, uh, finds resources that are mentioned and grabs a link and drops it in chat. You know, you could really jump in. Do you ever, did you write about that in, and forgive me for not having read it all yet. I got an advanced reader copy. <laughs> I feel like one of the special children. Um, but, but, um, Forgive me if this is in there and I didn't read it yet, but I'm wondering, is giving jobs to people that are in the audience a thing? Well, it's not so much giving jobs to audience members. I do have a whole section about working as a team and I list out all the different roles that you would want to have, um, particularly if you have more than 20 or so people like where it would really you know, be beneficial and yeah. like what's the difference between a chat moderator and a Zoom producer, like what you might expect from different people. Um, but I will say that as a participant, uh, even on a webinar where like people can't see you, right? Like you're just a random, like you're an attendee, you're not even a participant. Um, I have made myself known and visible by being the person who quickly, like a speaker mentions a podcast or a book or a website or any resource or a person. And I go find the book and I go find the thing and I drop it and I put a little note explaining what it is. Or if, you know, if it's a really detailed slide, I'll grab a screenshot and drop it yeah. in. Like, I just, I'm now it's such a natural thing for me to do, but you know, you've got all these, you can have a thousand people on a webinar. My name's going to keep showing up. And then if I have a resource related to my work that I want to put in, I feel fine doing that because it's just one of a zillion things that I'm sharing, but you don't have to have your own resources to step out and, and stand out. And by the way, this is something you can't do in person. Like yeah, I, the equivalent would be a Twitter, an active Twitter hashtag at a conference where there's always, you know, some people who were really actively live tweeting yeah. or sharing resources, but that's become sort of passe. So this is the best thing you can do virtually. But it, it's, it's like, and I mean, that's such a hot tip for any of us who are attending virtual events on how to show up and be like authentically serving and also <laughs> self-serving, getting our, our name out there. I mean, you see it in Facebook groups, for example, there's the person who's always active and showing up yeah. and you just, then they're helpful and you just 
know them by name and there could be thousands of people in that group and this right. you're just pointing out to me that the same thing holds true in virtual events yeah yeah so i know that inclusive inclusivity is a huge thing for you and i would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on that topic a little bit what would what would you want us to know about zoom events and inclusivity well, um, I'm actually one of the things I'm, I'm a little regretful is that I didn't make the section on accessibility visible on the table of contents. Mm. We made a decision to like only have a certain level of yep. like, you know, header show on the table of contents because it was getting too long and cumbersome. Uh, and it's it's in the book. It's in the content section under the lecture section, okay. because I feel like the people who lecture uh, needed a lot of help about how to design slides yep. and how to pause on their slides. So there's so many tips. And I reached out to two friends of mine who are disability access uh, experts who were able to provide um, just some really great ideas. And I got feedback from from participants who are who come to my stuff who you know have ADHD or autism or neurodiversity of different mm -hmm. kinds or traumatic brain injury. There's a lot of reasons to kind of build this in. So there's a couple that I think are really universal. Um, one is when you switch to a new slide, pause for a second because you know people are going to start reading. Um, don't put everything on one slide. Like build the slide. So um, if you have five bullet points. The first slide has one bullet point, the second slide has two bullet points and so on. But then what I like to do is actually make the new bullet point a different color, like a vibrant orange. And then I gray out the other colors so that it's very clear this is the one we're talking about now. If you put all of them on, I'm gonna be reading bullet four while you're still talking about bullet one or two. And that's the cognitive dissonance that we can avoid. Yeah. Um, I also put something in called a pause slide, P-A-U-S-E which is a pause button and it says it's a, it's basically it says jot takeaways and write questions. So jotting takeaways is something you do for yourself somewhere and questions I want you to put in the, in the chat. I like people to write the word question in all caps beforehand so I can spot it. And I've also increased the font size of my chat to 150%, which makes it a lot easier to spot. Um, and then the other thing I do is a, your, you are here slide, which has got the agenda. And then similarly, I use a vibrant color to point out this is the next section we're going mm. to. So I, it's almost like train stops, you know, like I sort of pull or bus line. I pull it up and I'm like, all right, so we had our pause. I, I answered the most pressing question if there was one. Other questions are going to wait. And now I had a drink of water and now this is where we're going into this next section. So this is all about bringing everybody back in who are multitasking or distracted or whatever it is, um, universal I think universally bringing people in is really helpful. Yeah, that's so smart. And I think that your tip there about not using builds and using multiple slides, like my hack for that is create the slide. And tell me if yeah. I'm wrong, but create the slide and then go make, you know, if it's got eight bullet points, eight copies of it, right? Or seven more copies right. and then just like delete off the stuff and change the colors. Yeah makes exactly. it so much and easier I, than it sounds. Well, I'll also say is um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So people, animations, I mean, you could, that's a very simple animation and I think that's fine. Um, what we want to avoid when it comes to animation is text swooping in mm. um, or um, GIFs or silent video. Um, every single slide should not be creeping and crawling. 
literally some people are going to end up with migraines and be in bed for three days and no one wants to be the cause of that. So now that I've told you that that could happen, be paying attention. So I know people that, you know, have video always on behind them on their, their zoom background. Like, like you just can't, like, it's just not accessible and not friendly to a lot of people for a whole bunch of different reasons. So if you're going to use, you know, something, it needs to be purposeful. Um, and so like for me, changing the color so we all know where, what point we're focusing on, like that's a really good use of animating the next step. But if you don't want to, you know, building could just be, like you said, making five slides and then just changing the colors, which I tend to do because if you're ever asked to switch your content from, I don't know, like Google Slides to PowerPoint or PowerPoint to Keynote or Keynote, to, if you do... Uh, the way we're talking about where it's one slide after another, it will translate beautifully if it is leaning on people, um, each program reading that the uh, animation correctly. It won't. Oh, that's such so, a good tip. Yeah. Because I've had it happen where people are like, we need to have your slide. I mean, I, I use Google Slides and then they're like, no, we need it for PowerPoint. I'm like, I don't even understand why, but okay, fine. And I can export as a PowerPoint and I know that it's all going to work. Oh. So it's like it's not even a it's not even just a Zoom tip. This is a tip for everybody who. By the way, that wasn't even in the book. <laughs> but I mean, I talked about the build, but I, that's not a reason I gave. I've mentioned a few things here that's not in the book. So you've asked some good questions. I, I think the hardest part of writing a book like this is is you have to constantly go back to your purpose. And so the purpose was to help presenters who are given between sixty and ninety minutes to do a one-time presentation to share some kind of value. They don't necessarily know the audience super well or the audience's savviness with computers or technology. So my biggest difference between this and an ongoing class or course or team meeting is I don't use third-party tools for a one-time session because you will lose people and you can get 70 to 90% participation in a Zoom poll. And now we have advanced Zoom polls, which are even cooler. Um, whereas you send people to a link for Jamboard or Mentimeter, et cetera, and you might get 30 to 50% participation. And yes, you're very cool, but what was the point? Was the point engagement or looking like a really cool presenter? Um, I guess you have yeah. to decide. But if it's about engagement and getting information from people, then I'm the low, the low tech part of my subtitle, Low Tech Solutions, is built-in Zoom has a lot of features that we're not using or we're not using fully. Um, so keeping that, that, those, that as a constraint will actually help a lot of our audience members more fully participate because they learned early on that they click a link in chat, Zoom window goes away because they had full screen Zoom and they didn't know how to bring it back. And so they've basically been taught, like trained and not click links. And we think we're being easy. Yeah. Oh, we'll just drop a link to Mentimeter. And they're like, oh, a link, I'm not touching that. So you have to know your audience. This that, that made me think of a question that I got this week, which was, hey, have you used X platform? I mean, fill in the blank. There's so many. Right. And mm-hmm. and they wanted to use it because there's like a cool breakout room feature and, you know, it looks like a video game and whatever. And and I came back and said my personal preference is like Zoom all the way, all day, every day. Because if you look at the stats of how many people in the world know and use Zoom, it is extremely high compared 
like yeah. like astronomically surpasses like all of the other ones and i don't like any Combined, sort of friction probably. in between me and yeah. you know the content that i have to deliver and the guests tell me what your position is there both my parents have figured out how to get on a zoom call so <laughs> I, I think that answers that question uh, my dad actually said wait your book is about zoom but everyone's back at work and everyone knows how to Zoom. So he thinks because he knows how to like get on Zoom, like the world must know how to yeah. use Zoom. And I'm like, yeah, but not well. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like my father knows how to join a Zoom call. But if you send him to some other platform, um, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't really yeah. use that. He's not comfortable using that. So not that he's your target, <laughs> but why add friction? Why make people work yeah. harder? I think that um, when people say you can't do something in Zoom and then I show them how to do it, they're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the book will surprise people. I've, I've already gotten like 60 reviews sent to me in advance. Uh, the book won't officially publish until, um, maybe Monday, the latest, so the ebook would be out for two ninety nine, two dollars and 99 cents. And then paperback will be come out towards the end of the month. But I've already gotten about 60, 70 reviews in advance. And it's been interesting because it's been people who are beginners mm -hmm. and some really seasoned professional speakers, professional facilitators who sort of, I would say, join my launch team as a like, I'll be nice to Robbie. Sure, all right, I'll take a look at this thing. I mean, what do I have to learn? And then they're like, what? Like, things you don't know to ask. Yeah. Think, things that you didn't, you just thought wasn't possible, you never even thought to, to question it. Um, and I'm talking like storytelling to help give illustration, video, you know, images to kind of make the point come alive, step-by-step -step guides and checklists, um, settings, like, I mean, facilitation and purpose first design and some of the stuff that you, you might know one or two of these things, but to have it all laid out and in a resource that you can easily read cover to cover or just pick a yeah. section and dive into it. I'm actually recommending that everyone gets both the ebook and the paperback because I want both sales. No, because the ebook is something you can search really easily to find what section. But I also think people like having a book to like quickly you know, dog ear and like highlight and like be able to reference quickly. I mean, either medium will work, but um, this is more than one person. Of course, they don't know each other and they don't know what other people are written. The word Bible has shown up on numerous um, so reviews. <laughs> like this is a Zoom Bible, like that kind of thing. So this is very comprehensive. Uh, folks who are watching right now, you can actually join my launch team. You can be one of the last few to join and get the advanced reader copy because as soon as the book gets published, that part closes. Uh, you go to RobbieSamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. Yes. RobbieSamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. Sign up. I will send you the advanced reader copy PDF. You could listen to it using Speechify either on your phone or your computer or just read it. And uh, we're asking for reviews. Um, and I say we because collectively I'm going to hit 100 plus reviews by March 13th and 200 plus reviews by the end of the month. Um, but I can't do by myself. So that's the we. I, I'm so excited uh, to read more of the book and like um, memorize it <laughs> so I can help clients with all of the things that you've got in there. Um, I think that everyone should be grabbing a copy because we all need to do a better job of harnessing the power of this platform. It is unrivaled in terms of the ability to create profitable events. It, it's just such mm -hmm. a gift. And 
I think the people who are going to continue to profit from producing events on Zoom or virtual events are going to be the ones who learn the facilitation tips, learn how to be engaging, learn the platform. And your book is the answer. So I will say I have a a little bit of an or with that. The or they hire a professional. And yes, you can hire me. But I think if you can hire anybody who has been trained in how to do this, not just like some Upwork person, nothing bad about Upwork, but go with someone who's invested the time and money to be trained. Folks who've worked with me spent $2,000 to be certified in several months. This is not like a one hour course. Um, this is like an investment of, of back and forth experiential learning. So, um, you know, I, I have organizations that I've been working with since 2020, multiple years of multiple events a year. And they've decided that the benefit of working with me is that they don't want their team, their staff to have to stay on top of all the things Zoom. Yes, their team has gotten better at Zoom because they've heard me say certain things over and over again. They are really good now. They could prep a speaker. Like, you know, they can handle slight tech issues, but I'm the one who's like staying on top of every new feature, every new release, all the changes, you know, why put the pressure on them? So it's about sort of, I don't know, bringing events online with less stress and greater participant engagement. And if you were doing this in person, you'd have an AV team, you'd have a catering staff, you know, someone else would put the water on the lectern. Here, the speakers are being asked to take on a lot of that role themselves, including sometimes having to educate how to use the Zoom platform and teach people how to add polls. <laughs> okay, here's how you add my polls, like all that stuff that we have to do as speakers. So the book will help speakers, but if you read it and you think, whoa, this is way beyond my pay grade, that's when you want to go find someone who can really help you step up your game, uh, particularly if you're making money. If you're making money off this, you really, you got to be aiming to be top notch at this. Yeah. It will make such a difference. Head and shoulders. So smart. Kind of difference. I mean, but I, I think it's, um, I think that that lens that you just asked us to put on was like, you would go hire the expert who can make the food for your guests and who can, you know, run the cameras and the lights if you were in person. So yeah. like, why not invest in someone who's going to help you use the platform that you're using even better? And you don't even have to pay for coffee. I mean, like, there's a lot of ways. By the way, one of the things we talk about in my book is sending welcome boxes or gifts Mm -hmm. in advance. I'm a huge fan. Trust me, if you want to spend money on virtual, there are lots of ways to invest, whether it's professional staff, sending out gifts in advance, or sending out something Mm -hmm. after. But it will really, people will find your event memorable. You'll stand out. People want to refer people to come to your stuff. It's it's by inches that we have to get better because everyone else is sort of at a standstill. So if we just keep getting a little bit better, I mean, think of where I am three years later when March 2020, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know I had access to breakout rooms. <laughs> no one did. We all, every single person, including with free accounts, had access to breakout rooms before 2020. And none of us did knew that. Did we use them? No. So we've all come a long we way. Have. We have. <laughs> Ravi, where can Lynchpin Nation find you if they want to get access to your book or your services or the people you've trained. Awesome. Yeah. So a few things. One, RobbieSamuels.com is the home of all things that I do. And I do a lot of different things. Um, Every uh, first Friday of the month, I host No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour, which is NoMoreBadZoom.com. That happens to be this Friday if you're listening live. 
breakoutofboredom.com is where the book will be once it's on Amazon. Uh, if you go there now, the book will tell you it's not live yet. Um, but uh, if you're listening and you want to join the launch team, you go to uh, robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. And I would really love that. I mean, the people, the feedback. I will tell you that, um, Sarah, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I was still writing this book in January. Like I wrote, so I wrote 25,000 words by the end of December, thinking the book was about 25, 30,000 yeah. words. And in January, wrote another 35,000 plus words. And the book ended up being 64,000 words. So I was writing while my editor was editing and my formatter was starting the formatting process because I wanted the book launch date to be March 13th because it's the three-year anniversary of when the world suddenly realized that in-person events had to come to a stop and I hosted my first virtual happy hour. So I committed to that and I stuck to it and it's... We're like creeping up on that and it's about to publish. So it's going to happen. Oh, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. And I'm also so grateful because this is, like you said, going to become such a resource and a Bible for um, CEOs (laughs) who want to do a better job of making money with virtual events. So thank you. I'm excited. We all have to do our part to raise the bar because if we don't, then ugh, Zoom is going to become what everyone says. Like, I want to turn Zoom fatigue into Zoom intrigue. Ooh. I love it. On that note, thank you, Robbie, for hanging out today. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Green Room Central podcast. If you love this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Instagram and be sure to tag at Sarah Faper and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear or who you'd like to hear from in the future. That'll help me know what to create for you. The number one thing I'm asked by CEOs, whether it's their first event or their 20th, is Sarah, how do I get more butts and seats? And so I put together a guide for you. Head over to fillingevents.com for a free copy of 107 Ways to Fill Your Event. I want to help you quickly master event marketing and fill your events, even if you've never done it before. I've scoured the online business world and found 107 of my favorite strategies working right now to fill your next in-person or virtual event. Create the event promotion plan you need from these easy-to-implement, customizable strategies for free over at fillingevents.com. I appreciate your commitment to leveling up and learning the mindset and strategy of live events. Keep going. Keep learning. If you want more, head over to greenroomcentral.com for show notes and all the links from today's episode.